Hey guys, welcome to this week of So What Else. I'm your host, Caitlin. As you know, So What Else is a story-based podcast. So today we have author Tess Scott on to share her story. Tess is so fun. You're going to love her. She's Canadian. She is an author, a speaker, a wife, a mom, a cancer survivor, so many things. She has raised eight boys. She is really fun. We talk a lot about some just funny anecdotes from raising boys. Um, She also talks about her son, TJ, who they brought into their family through foster care and adoption, who was diagnosed with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. We also share about her son who battled addiction in his teenage years. We talk about how to deal with regret and shame from our past and moving forward and how to use our story to encourage others. It was just a really encouraging, fun conversation, and I know you're going to love it. So stay tuned. Tess, welcome to So What Else. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me on, Caitlin. I'm really excited about this. Yes, me too. Okay, so you gave it away in that first sentence when you said about. Say it again. I'm really excited about this. Okay, so are you, you're in Canada. <laughs> I don't see that that sounds different than the way you say it. But really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I feel like, okay, so I say about and you yeah. say like about. About. About it's this. I don't know. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> you're not the first person to tell me this. Yeah, That's yeah. True. Yeah, I am in Canada. I'm in Ontario. So I'm in Sarnia, which is right on the border of Port Huron, Michigan. Okay. Two hours from Detroit, Michigan. Oh, okay. I could be in your country, like theoretically, if borders were good and everything, um, in about five minutes from my house. Oh, wow. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, we've had a handful of Canadians on here. Some of our very best friends are the Birches. They live in Canada, but yeah, they say about, you know, or, you know, or even just um, Christine Birch, she'll spell things differently now that, so they were in Jersey for a while with us. And now that they moved back, I noticed that she'll spell things like color instead of O-R, she does O-U-R. Yeah. Yeah. Which I just think it's so funny that like, (laughs) we all speak English. But it's like we spell a few words differently. I think that's so funny. That is weird. And also spell check thinks that I'm American. So they keep saying, why are you putting a U in favor and color and all these different things? But I know how to spell. So I'm okay. I don't need their help. Yeah. That that is funny. That's random. That is weird. But yeah, so we've had like the Birches on. I had Tony Newhoff, Sheila and um, Greg. Sheila and Keith Gregoire. So like all, a lot of Canadians, love the Canadians, beautiful. My aunt and uncle are in Canada right now on a, on a trip. And they're sending these pictures of lakes that are just like bright blue. Yeah. Yeah. Blue waterland. That's what we call it. Oh, that's so gorgeous. My husband and I actually love watching the show alone. Do you, do you know what that is? Basically it's like people go out into the wilderness and see who can like survive the longest with like, and all they have is like two things, you know, whatever, but it's always like in Canada, like somewhere Mm -hmm. on like way, way up where it's like really freezing on a beautiful, beautiful lake in Canada. So gotta love it. That sounds terrible. I would hate that. (laughs) I would would do that. Absolutely hate that. Especially because there's no end. Like I don't even think I could do Survivor, but at least with Survivor, you know, it's exactly 40 days or something like that. So it's like you have a countdown in your head, but for them on the show, it's literally who lasts the longest. They have no idea how long they're going to be there. Yeah. That, that sounds like some sort of torture. I like to flush after I go to the washroom. 
literally. It's like so – and the thing that's so crazy to me about that is the winner gets $500,000, which I realize that's a lot of money. And, like, I would love to have $500,000. But I don't know that that fits, like, the torture that they've gone through, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. I, I think not. I don't, not for me. Some people obviously love it, right? There's lots of people. One of my sons says his dream is to live off the grid, Ugh, you know, whatever that is. not my dream. My dream either. Not my dream either, but it's good that he wants to do that. Maybe someday he will. Yeah, that's fine. That's nice. But yeah, that's so not sure. me. <laughs> I like comfortable things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I do. So I was totally drawn to you and your story because it's so obvious that you like know how to laugh at yourself and you have a sense of humor. Your book is called Listen, Sister, Finding Hope in the Freak Show of Life, which I love that. And the picture on the cover is like a woman like face down in the grass. So I love it because it's obviously like, you know, sometimes like these nonfiction books that I've read for the podcast are like really heavy, really serious. And there's like for sure a place for that. And that's important. But I was definitely drawn to like, oh, this one's going to be like a lighthearted, nice, easy read. And it so was. I loved it. So I loved the title. I loved the cover. And I loved that all of the chapters are basically two pages. Right? It's such a quick, delightful thing. Yes. So if you are just in the bathroom and your kids are like banging at the door and calling your name, you can just quickly read or you're waiting in the line to pick them up from school or you only have a minute, two minutes. Yes. And that's what I did yesterday. I literally was in the pickup line. I was in the pickup line. My daughter in the back was like talking and I was like semi ignoring her. And I'm just like, I've breezed through a bunch of chapters because it's like, they're so quick and easy and I love it. And I love that it's like, it's basically hundreds of like anecdotes from your life, which I think is so fun. People respond to that so well. Just people love, I think, hearing Mm -hmm. stories about other people's lives, you know? And so tell us a little bit about you kind of introduce yourself to us. I know you have a lot of kids. Like, tell us who you are. Yeah. So I always say my name is Tess Scott. I'm a mom of eight boys, a Grammy with a heart above the eye, um, an encourager of women, a black sheep turned Jesus girl. And that's, and that's why I want to share my life. And I want women to know that they're not alone, whatever mm-hmm. their life looks like, because we're all in a freak show of life. You know, your freak show, Caitlin, doesn't look like my freak show. Mm -hmm. You probably don't have eight kids. I know you don't. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean your life is perfect. Yeah. And I think it's even harder now. Like all those years ago when I was a young mom, you know, and I I, um, communicated with my friends in person or on my, you know, pick up my rotary dial phone, call them up. And I could hear their kids in the background yelling and screaming and pulling at their legs. And and I saw Mm -hmm. their houses and their lives and their lives were imperfect like mine. Yeah. But now I think I see my daughter-in-laws and other young women, and I think they communicate a lot with friends on social. Mm -hmm. And if you are a young woman and you're looking at Instagram and you're looking at that big, beautiful house with the pumpkin on the porch and the wreath on the door, and you think, wow, that woman has her life together. Mm -hmm. She has this perfect life. I'm going to tell you this. If you walk into her house unexpected and you walk into her living room, there is laundry on her couch, just like at your house. Yeah. That's reality. Mm -hmm. So I want to be real and embarrassingly vulnerable and, you know, just talk about real life and what it's like so that women know, wow, other people are also in a freak show life and that's okay. And we get through it. Totally. Totally. I love that so much. Like even just the other day, I, do you know what Marco Polo is? The app? Yeah. 
Okay, yes. All right. My favorite. So mm-hmm. I Marco Polo with like my cousins, my friends a lot, all the time. But like the other day I was saying something to, I think my cousins and my daughter was screaming in the background for me to like come wipe her in the bathroom, even though like all she did was pee. And I was like, you can do that yourself. Like I'm not helping you. And she's like literally screaming at the top of her lungs. And I'm just like talking like on Marco Polo. And then like my cousin came on after and she was like, that gave me life. Like that gave me so much joy to hear Emerson having like a complete meltdown in the background. And you were just like, Oh, I'm ignoring this. Like, this is just, this is what happens here. You know what I mean? Like, and she was like, that's just so fantastic. But we need to, because you're right, we don't show that stuff on Instagram, you know, because it's like, you just don't. So it's good to let people in and see that stuff. Like, we don't have it all together. Nobody does. That's right. That's right. And I think, like, no one's putting pictures of the dishes in their sink. And, and, you know, I don't necessarily want to see pictures of that. Sure. but that's real life. It's okay. If you walk into my house and anyone's welcome to come at any time, mm-hmm. but you get what you get. Yeah. Right. So come on in and sit down and have a cup of tea and, you know, teenagers will be asking for the car and there'll be all kinds of things happening, but that's mm-hmm. real life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to uh, remind you of some of my favorite, I'm going to tell you some of my favorite anecdotes that you shared in the, in the book. The okay. first one was um, when you were tucking your boys in at night they were little, little. And you were like, hey, listen, go potty before sleep. And they were like, oh, we don't have to. Don't worry about that. You want to tell us that story? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so first of all, you know how tired you are at the end of the day when you're putting your kids to bed? That's how yes. I felt. It was very tiring. And yeah, these were the last two kids. So by then you're like number seven and eight, you're really tired. But I was putting them to bed and I said, yeah, just run and go pee. And they said, we don't need to because we're peeing in that box in the corner and in the corner of their room was the box of Lego. The amount of Lego that you have after all these years of having oh. kids, a lot of Lego, thousands and thousands of pieces. And it was a wooden box that we had got at an auction. Thank you, Lord, that there was a piece of old carpet underneath it. I don't even know why, but they had been, I lifted up the lid and my Lanta, that would just knock you like the smell. And they had been peeing in it, I guess in the night or whenever they felt like it. I don't know. And so some of them, you know, the upside down pieces were still holding pee and it had come through the box, but only onto the extra piece of carpet, which I could throw out. So it didn't actually get on their floor. I'm so thankful, but what? Like who (laughs) pees in the carpet or I mean, who pees in the Lego? What (sighs) going on for some time? Like, and they didn't even think it was like, they weren't even hiding it, you know? I, they were like back. proud. They're like, oh, mom, They're don't proud. worry about it. We have a hack for that. We don't need to walk all the way to the bathroom. Why would we do that? We for the Lego, you know? So, uh, yeah. So I took all the Lego out and I put it in, um, like, oh, what do you call them? Like a lingerie bag that you use to yeah, wash yeah. that kind of thing. And and wash them in the bathtub in, in bleach and, uh, and water and then laid them out on all these towels all over my living room and dining room to dry them because like, I wasn't throwing them out. Yeah, no, for real. <laughs> too expensive for that. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't have that kind of money. So, um, yeah, but I mean, it was a good, it was a good, it was a memory. Let's say that it was, it was a memory because <sighs> it happened like so long ago, probably 15. Yeah, definitely 15, 17 years ago that happened. So and we all still remember it. <laughs> that is a thing that I've heard like with boy moms for sure. Cause like I had two girls 
And they do weird stuff, but they, thank God, don't pee in, like, the toys and stuff like that. But I've heard that from pretty much every boy mom, that their son has peed somewhere yeah. weird. Yeah. Like, I, it's just, like, a boy thing. Yeah. And it's easier for them. They don't yes. have to water or anything, right? Exactly. Like, it's just, like, it must be just so easy. I don't know. Ugh. And you have eight boys, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we have right all- now, what are their ages? Right now, their ages are 37. Um, two are 32. 30, 29, I forget how what number I'm at now, um, I think, and then 22 and um, 19. Wow. I don't know if I missed any in there, but well, yeah, it's fine. That's about, that's about their ages. Yeah. The oldest one's 37. So he was actually 18 when my youngest one was born. Oh my gosh. Was, yeah. But the good thing about that is he was already like out of the house. Sure. Right. Um, going to school and stuff. So we only honestly had seven. I mean, it okay. sounds like a lot when you say eight, but really only seven. Yeah, exactly. House all at once. It was nothing. Yeah. 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 It's like nothing. Yeah. No, it was a lot. That's where the whole freak show comes from. My husband used to say that all the time. This is a freak show. So that's where I got that from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. My other favorite story at the very beginning of the chapter, before you told the story, you started with this quote, which is like my favorite quote of all time. You said, raising children is not for the cocky. And I've often wondered if God sent mine simply to cement humility permanently into my character. Mm-hmm. If that is not the truest thing, I I say it all the time. I say it all the time to my husband, to anyone who will listen. I was the best mom ever before I had kids. Amen. So true. Right? Like, you're just like, this is how I'm going to do this. This is how things are going to go. This is how it's going to be. And then the kids show up in the flesh and you're like, well, never mind. Yes, exactly. Do you ever have a friend who comes over and says, oh, when I have kids, I'm going to just leave everything out on the tables. I'm not going to put things up. I'm going to teach my kids not to touch those things. Yeah. It's like... I can hardly wait till your kids come. I can't wait mm-hmm. till you have children and see how that works out because you know what? You're going to put stuff up, but you just let them just think that you'd be in your little life of bliss of not knowing what it's like to be a parent. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at that, that chapter, when you said that quote was probably my ultimate favorite story, you were at the grocery store and you hear people talking about something crazy that happened like in the parking lot. You want to tell us that? <laughs> Yeah. So that when we lived at that home, we were two doors down from the grocery store in this tiny little village. It was an amazing place to raise kids for lots of different reasons. Um, This wasn't one of them. (laughs) But um, so everybody knew everybody else is what I'm saying. And that and that worked out in tons of great ways. It was a great place. Um, But I walked through my backyard, through the backyard of my neighbors and into the parking lot of the grocery store. And I was getting groceries in this little tiny food land. And it was a place in town where everybody met to talk and kind of catch up and you know like like I said everyone knew everyone else and I heard these two women talking about these little (laughs) these little boys who were out behind the dumpster pooping in the parking lot and I thought oh that's so cute that's so funny but as I'm standing in line I was thinking oh my goodness those aren't my boys are they and uh and then uh, you know my body started to get all hot I got that hot feeling in my stomach because when I left my boys were in the backyard um yep and then as I'm yeah that was them anyway when I got home I asked them and and it was and they weren't even embarrassed they were like yeah (laughs) like what 
what are you doing? Like, why would you do that? Well, I don't know. We had to go, you know, so they both had to go at exactly the same time. Yeah, right. Walk two blocks over, like, come on. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of toileting issues. (laughs) Not really issues, just funny (laughs) stories, I guess. I don't know. And then my brother at the time had a column in a newspaper. He's so hilarious and he's such a great writer. And he had a column in a newspaper and he wrote a column about it. But he didn't mention their names, thank goodness. Oh and, it was, my. and it was a long time ago. So most people in town probably forgot by now. <laughs> I hope. Who knows? Yeah, right. Exactly. Do you still live in that town? No, no. Not because of that, but we did move. Yeah. Oh <laughs> we're, my. we're only about half an hour away. So oh yeah. my goodness. I know the same people. It's too good. But see, like that really is. It's just like, well, what are you gonna do? That's right. That's it right. happens. It happens. It's not like a malicious thing or anything. You know, it's no. a natural it's a natural bodily function. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Exactly. So throughout your book, though, you also weave in that you have clearly, you know, in addition to all these like funny anecdotes and lighthearted things, like you've been through a lot of like really intense stuff. Like you've walked through cancer, you've been through divorce and remarriage to the same guy, blended family, adoption, kids battling addictions. Like there's like a lot. So mm-hmm. Obviously, we're not going to be able to get to all of it today, but like, let's see where we get to. So I want to start talking about um, your son, TJ. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about him and like how he came into your family and a little bit of his story? Okay. So we were foster parents and um, the worker called one day and said, I'm wondering if you can take this little baby. He's four pounds, nine ounces, um, eight weeks early, and you'll have him for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he's still in the hospital right now, um, you know, with tubes and being tube fed and everything. But so and she said, I'm asking you because I know you don't want to adopt. And I said, I don't want to adopt. Um, And if I did, it sure wouldn't be a boy. So (laughs) (laughs) I just think that's so anyway, yeah. So I went to the hospital, you know, and um, eventually brought him home and and um and we still have him and he's 24 so that didn't work out the way that they told me it would which <laughs> is often the way that children's aid uh works but yeah so we found out he he fit into our family just fine mm-hmm. and we loved him the little curly head boy he was and when he was probably he wasn't like any of our other kids but i always thought that was probably because he was you know 8 weeks early yeah totally So, you know, they think the whole adjusted age and he had Mm -hmm. tons of support because of his early um, um, interventions with um, children's aid. Okay. Yeah. All hooked up for lots of programs and things Mm -hmm. that I brought up to. And he didn't crawl till he was maybe nine months old. He didn't walk until he was about a year and a half. Okay. Um, which is late, but then, you know, but I not was, crazy. Yeah. Not crazy. You know, he'll talk when he talks by the time you get down to like your, you know, your seventh kid and stuff, you're like, yeah, whatever. You yeah. know, I know, I know this is, I know that my first son got his first tooth on January 28th of oh, 1986. Wow. I remember the day it was the day the space shuttle crashed. And I remember exactly where I was when his tooth came through, <sighs> you know, that's my good. young, my youngest son, has lots of teeth. I have no idea, but he, he eats fine. <laughs> they like, somehow they, came in. They somehow came in. No idea because it doesn't matter. But it's so yep. funny, right? 
right? Like at one, like when your first kids, like you read all these milestones and, oh, yeah. and then later on, you're like, yeah, that's not important. Did he eat today? Yes, it, he did. Okay. Right. This, these are the important things. A hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so how did it become though more than a couple of weeks of having him or a couple of days or whatever? Well, yeah. Um, the way the court system worked, you know, um, children's aid felt like they would be able to get crown ward of him easily because okay. he was, uh, the mom has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, so she can't care for him. And he was her sixth baby and she was 28 oh. and she had lost them all to, oh. um, to this, you know, right. ward court. Um, so he was the sixth one. I didn't know about the siblings having that. I knew, I knew some, some details, but they don't tell you everything. So by the time they like, you know, they let her prove that she could do it and she fail, prove another thing. She'd fail. Like she, she just couldn't do it. It's not mm-hmm. that she had no malicious bones in her body. She just mm-hmm. didn't, she was just missing a piece of her brain, you know, mm-hmm. like she didn't have the ability to parent. So um, by the time they got crown ward and he could be adopted, he was over two years old. Mm. So he only knew us. Yeah. Right? He only knew his family that he had lived with and other kids came and went, but he always stayed. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like the best idea at the time. So he was two. Okay. At that time. Um, when he was in grade three, so he would have been eight years old. Um, and the same, like he was behind, like mm-hmm. in learning. But I still, A, didn't think that much about it because I knew he was behind. And mm-hmm. and B, because there was a lot of other stuff going on in life. It wasn't my only child to think about. Totally. Um, but the, the um, teacher called me in or maybe the guidance counselor, I guess, at the public school and called me in to talk to me about him at the end of the year and said, um, so we're looking at next year when he goes into school because our school went like JK to three and then the mm-hmm. next building, you know, mm-hmm. would be four to eight. Um, we want to put him in this special needs class instead of um, having just an EA in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, and I said, that's great because the other kids are learning like the circumference of a circle or whatever it is, you know, of a rectangle. And he doesn't know which one's a rectangle. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. No. And and we want to teach him like life skills. And Mm -hmm. I thought that's amazing. So this was my question. This is how, you know, oblivious I was. I said, will he go to high school when he is 14 Mm -hmm. or when he's at a grade eight level of learning? And I remember Mm. her looking at me like I had two heads and she said, do you realize that he will probably never be at a grade nine level of learning? Mm. And it was like, whoa, it just blew me away. I had no idea, none, Mm. you know, and I went to um, my pediatrician who had had him since he was born as, you know, as his patient. And I said, this is what they told me. And he said, don't you know that? And I said, no. Yeah. Nobody has ever told me that. Right. Nobody has told me that. So I came to find out that he also has um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. I mean, most likely they can't diagnose it really Mm -hmm. without an autopsy, which seems kind of severe at this time because he's still alive and everything. But but he has all the signs and symptoms and he even has some facial um, like recognition of it. And and only 10% of people who have it have any facial signs of it. So lots of people don't. But what that means is there's a part of his brain that I can't remember the name of that um, doesn't, isn't there and can never grow there. So he can't, he can't, he can't add a consequence to an action. 
Oh. I can't ever think about what might happen, Mm. you know, and it leads to all kinds of problems to, to people who have this. And, but what it did for us when we found that out, when we learned this, and I mean, we had to grieve like all the things that I had expected would happen in his life. And you don't think about it. You never write down a list. What do I think is going to happen in his life? You know, but really you think your kids are going to grow up and they're going to, you know, whatever, go to post-secondary or get a job and have a family and all these things. So, um, when you learn this kind of news, what, for whatever reason, um, you really, you grieve that. And, but what this, but what this did was it allowed us to have different expectations of him. Mm-hmm. On, even on a daily level, even mm-hmm. on a daily um, experience, because with my other kids, even disciplining, okay, I am a big believer of consistency is the key, mm-hmm. right? So my kids would learn, okay, if I do this, if I leave my bike out and I'm supposed to put it away at the end of the day and I leave it out, Mom's going to take the bike away the next day because mm-hmm. that's being irresponsible, right? So I know that's the consequence for that action. Yeah, but he couldn't. He couldn't connect that. Yeah, right. Or I would get a call from. Um, I remember getting a call from this woman around the corner that said, um, "Your son was in my front yard and just beat my kid up." And I was watching from the window and ran out. And I'm like, "What?" You know, so he's very, very impulsive mm-hmm. and, and it's not an excuse and it doesn't go without, um, consequences from a parent, you know, um, he can't just do whatever he wants, carte blanche, but I have to mm-hmm. also realize that some of this is beyond his ability. Yeah. Yeah. So in that sense, it's almost like his diagnosis, while it was devastating, it was also kind of freeing. Yes, it was educating. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because it just helps you to know not to have unrealistic expectations. Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's so interesting. But so that was, you didn't find that out though until he was, what did you say? Like eight years old? Eight years old. Yeah. It would be the summer that he turned eight. So when they like brought him to you, there was no conversation of like, look, we're pretty sure he has fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, like this is going to mean this, this, and this. Uh, No, they said none of that. No. Well, when he, I mean, you know, to be fair, when he came to me, he was two weeks old. Sure. Um, But of course you meet with workers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And even when we decided to adopt, Mm -hmm. no, no one one said, Hey, heads up. All of his brothers have this brothers. Right. No, no one said that. That would have been good to know. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Done differently though. What would I have done differently? I mean, I can say that, but then mm-hmm. what would I have said? Oh no, you know, I'm not in for that. Like mm-hmm. to somebody else. I still think it was probably the best thing for him to mm-hmm. stay in the stable house. That well, stable, huh? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the consistent. Let's be the, the consistent, consistent yes. house that he had been in. Yeah. So, what uh, is TJ's relationship like with all the other boys? Yeah. So that's interesting. The other boys um, don't really have relationships with him right now. Like nothing, he would call them maybe, but they're reluctant to give them his phone number, because give him 
their phone number because, you know, he just calls at all hours or sure. calls constantly, um, doesn't really have those kinds of boundaries. Right. So he is my only um, son who doesn't live within half an hour of my house right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is what happened a couple of years ago. He calls me several times during the day, every day. So a couple of years ago, he came over on Christmas day. He was living at um, a facility that is for people with mental health issues mm-hmm. because he could no longer live with me. Um, we had issues when I was going through cancer and I was having chemo. Then he yeah. went to his stepmom's house and he acted out there against her. Mm-hmm. And so he had to go somewhere else. And it took a long time to get this facility. Like it, there's waiting lists so yeah. long um, for anything like this. But we got him into this house, which is um, not a group home, but like 15 people live there Uh, And they all struggle in different ways with mental health. And there's like one staff member. So basically they help him do his laundry. They make his meals and he's safe. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's, he can come and go as he pleases and stuff. Okay. Um, So he was living there. And then um, my husband picked him up Christmas day. He came over, opened gifts and then wanted to go because that's the level that he's at. Like there's Mm -hmm. no, he's unable to have really like relationships, like. Uh, think about other people or ask questions and that kind of thing. So he came over, opened his gifts, wanted to go. And then the next day I didn't hear from him, which is weird, but boxing day and I don't Mm -hmm. know, you're busy. And so the next day after that, I called him and said, I haven't heard from you. What's going on? Oh, I moved. What? Yeah. I moved to this town. It's about an hour away, an hour and a half away. And I said, well, why did you move there? Well, I moved in with my girlfriend. Uh, I said, what girlfriend? (laughs) Like, well, Rachel. I said, I don't know Rachel. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. She's my girlfriend. I just met her. So he met some girl online and the girl's mom came and picked him up and moved him out of this house. And he lives an hour and a half away. So, I mean, it is, it's, it's lasted uh, over a year now, which yeah. I'm thankful for. And he is happy and he gets to work with horses, which he loves. And oh. they are lovely to him. And um, so I'm thankful for that. But he's also mm-hmm. not right here right now. So, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, that has different consequences of it, but he's in a safe place. It's just bizarre. Like, who would do that? Who would just mm-hmm. hate someone? And I mean, you can't think of any consequences, right? You can't sure. think it might happen. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I we, when we were um, speaking with a counselor, like, I think she may have been like a child neurologist mm-hmm. um, about FAS and what that would look like for our son. And mm-hmm. it was difficult through adolescence with him, yeah. tons and tons of struggles. And this is how she explained it to us. She said, any teenage boy, mm-hmm. when they see a pretty girl, they think I'm going to do that. Oh. But right away, right away, immediately in their brain, their mind says, oh, you can't because it's not right. She'll hit me. Her dad will kill me. She'll get pregnant. It's the wrong thing to do. All these reasons why they shouldn't. Right. Right. But an adolescent boy with FAS thinks I'm going to do that. And not only don't they think of why not to, they can't, they Mm -hmm. cannot think of why not to. And so they often do. And many adolescent boys with FAS are in jail, end up being sexually deviant, I mean, it's very, very, very common. Very common. Wow. So that I'm sure hearing that from a counselor or a neurologist or whoever that was, you said Mm -hmm. that was, what was that like for you and your husband to hear that? Yeah, it was, um, 
it was educating. <laughs> it was a bit scary, but also it was a good warning. I mean, it made sense. Oh, okay. So, and also it was like a warning, like, okay, so we will never leave him. And I knew this, we'll never leave him um, in a part of the house alone with one of my granddaughters, for instance. Right. Right. Or he would never be able to have a friend over who was in a, who was a girl. He didn't really have friends though, but there was a girl a couple streets over that sometimes would come over and play. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would never leave them in the house and go out to the backyard. Sure. Thing. Right. Like you just, you know, that you can't trust him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not really his fault. No, of course. No. No. And, And that must be hard too, because it's like, I'm sure there would be times where you feel angry at him. Like, oh my, just stop. Just don't do that. But then you like remind yourself like he he genuinely can't just stop, you know, like he doesn't have that. You know, it is, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, when people say those obnoxious things like, well, like little kids, little problems, big kids, big problems. And it like makes you, when you, when you have little kids, you feel very belittled. Like, well, thank you. Like you're telling me that my problems are small. Yeah. But in this situation- it's kind of true in the sense that like when TJ was little, I'm sure that that was really hard, like having a toddler that couldn't understand consequences and things like that. Like, I'm sure there was like hitting of the brothers or like toys out and things like that and like potty training things or whatever. But in the scheme of life, those are little problems compared to like what you're talking about when you have an adolescent boy who's like out and about on his own. You know what I mean? He's not in his crib. That is a bigger thing. That is a bigger problem to have to tackle and to figure out like how you're going to handle it. Yes. And you can't reason with him. Like with, yeah, that's the other thing. Um, It was, it was difficult that way, but God is good. We made it through. He's doing well now. So I'm really thankful for that. Really thankful. And you're right. You do have to remind yourself, but you still do get frustrated. I still get, Mm -hmm. still do get frustrated with him because he'll call the other day he called, he wants to move. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to go through with him. Okay. What would that look like? That would mean Mm -hmm. you're not living with your girlfriend. That's okay. I'm, I hate her. I'm mad. Okay. Okay. That that would mean you can't have your pets and you have a Guinea pig. Well, why can't the Guinea pig live at your house? I said, because I don't want to have a pet Guinea pig. It can't live at my house. You are this, you're a C word, you're a Mm -hmm. this, I hate you. Click hung up. Okay. 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 Like you can't take anything personally. That happens continually, continually because very impulsive, very, um, just very angry instantly. But then later on, sometimes the next day, sometimes a few hours later, um, sorry, I still want you to come to my horse race. Okay. Right. So, okay. Yeah. And I think you can't keep doing this and saying sorry, but then Mm -hmm. that's not true. He can. Because for him, yeah, absolutely. For him, and yeah, he doesn't, I don't even know that he remembers that he did that. Maybe he does. Right. I can't, I can't hold it. It's not his fault. He didn't Mm -hmm. say, he didn't ask his mom to drink when she was pregnant. He didn't want to be missing part of his brain. It's just the way it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you have a really, really beautiful attitude about it. And I'm sure not every day you do, but overall, you seem like you really do have a beautiful attitude about like, look, I've adjusted my expectations for him. I know what he's capable of and not capable of. And therefore, I'm not going to expect from him what I expect from my other kids or whoever. Mm -hmm. 
And like, this is what it is. And honestly, you guys have blessed him with a much safer, more consistent and happier life than he may have had, you know, if he had been bounced around from place to place. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that it was a, it was a more stable, consistent upbringing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I am really thankful that he is there Mm -hmm. and he is safe and he's not here every day. I mean, we did go through lots of years of daily conflict and daily problem solving and the daily stuff and not just me, like also um, his stepmom Mm -hmm. and she's amazing. And she walked through a lot of hard stuff with him. So, you know, now it's just phone calls. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We're we're in a good season, but it probably won't be forever. And we know Mm -hmm. that like, this is a long time for him to sustain a relationship. Sure. Um, So it probably won't last forever, but while it does, then we can just breathe a little easier. Yeah. And, and prepare for the days ahead. (laughs) Who knows what they look like? None of us know anyway. Yeah. None of us know. Absolutely. Yeah. You had also mentioned to me in an email that you have dealt with teenagers battling addiction and things like that. Kind of walk us through that. What's that been like for you? Yeah, that was, that was brutal. Mm -hmm. Um, so when one of our sons, Corey was, um, he, he is so smart and he graduated a semester early from high school and he wanted to live on his own Mm -hmm. and, um, his mom, he's my stepson. So at that time, my husband and I did not have a good relationship with his ex-wife and her new husband, mm-hmm. her husband. Um, so we didn't like, it was rocky. Sure. You know, when you first divorce, you don't usually have good relationships because if you did, you wouldn't get divorced. I mean, that's <laughs> right. Like Absolutely. Oh, my best friend, my ex-wife, you know, probably not. I actually so, heard someone say to me one time, there's no such thing as an amicable divorce. Like if it's amicable, then why are you getting divorced? Like if you, divorced, if, yeah. if like you can be chummy with this person, like then you just stay married. <laughs> yeah, exactly. At that time. So at that time it was terrible. And, um, that relationship was terrible between the four mm-hmm. of us. And my husband is, his personality, especially back then was very passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. So she would text him. He would ignore it. She would call. He wouldn't answer. And I know this to be true because I, he was also my ex-husband at one time and he did the same to me, but he's now my husband again. So, um, so at that time they had no relationship. So, um, she did not want him to live on his own because he was too young. He was only 17. Mm-hmm. However, I think maybe because she wanted it or didn't want it, then that made my husband wanted or yeah. be more, you know, supportive of it. Uh-huh. So we got him set up in an apartment and he was moving in with this other guy around the same age. And, um, they had jobs at a call center and everything seemed fine, but it wasn't long until we started seeing, um, like bad things. Like the boy he moved in with, I guess he called my husband and said, I've had it with him. He's doing drugs. He's, um, high all the time. And, and we were like, what, like, right. how can this be? We saw none of that before, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, yeah, I didn't remember a lot about it. I was talking to my husband about it on the weekend and he was reminding me of some things that maybe I didn't even know at the time, because I'm sure I was, you know, um, kind of concerned with other things that were happening. Sure. Too. Um, so he ended up checking himself into, uh, detox you have mm-hmm. to go to a hospital to the detox 
uh, ward for, I think it's three days at least. Mm -hmm. Um, So while this was happening, my husband's um, Mm ex-sister-in-law called him and had a talk with him. I'm not sure if they met or talked on the phone. And she said to him, you and Marianne, your ex-wife, are going to have to make have a relationship you're going to have to mm-hmm. get together for the sake of this kid mm-hmm. because i don't care if you hate her guts i don't care if you two hate each other mm-hmm. you both love this kid and you are going to have to do this and she really like i wasn't there but man she just gave it to him mm-hmm. and and he and he received that and he did like they talked it out they formed this alliance so mm-hmm. when we picked up Corey from detox in a, in in a city that was a few hours away, the only place he could get to, mm-hmm. um, he came to Tim Hortons. It's a Canadian thing where everyone meets for coffee, by the way. Oh, yes. I know what that is. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> he walked in there and the four of us were sitting at a table. Mm-hmm. Never before had he ever seen the four of us in the same room. Yeah, yeah. And he says, he says now that that was life-changing for him. Oh, wow. That these four people came together and loved him that much to put everything aside. Mm. And so we took him that day to a three-month rehab center in another city. And eventually he could have day visits, like we could go there on a Sunday to visit. And we went together sometimes, the four of us, to visit with him. Mm. Now, if you fast forward to now, she's one of our best friends. I mean, wow. she comes to our church. Mm. Like we have a great relationship and we've had to work through that. Mm-hmm. And there's been forgiveness on her sake to me. Um, you know, it's not, and it's not perfect. Um, but she's very gracious and, and she was in our backyard, like for, you know, the afternoon, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And that is so good. And like you said, it doesn't happen when you immediately get divorced because right. if it did, you just stay married. Sure. You know, that's reality. But the thing is, we are always going to be in each other's lives because we share the same kids and now mm-hmm. we share the same grandchildren. Yeah. So you're going to see those people at birthday parties, at yeah. graduations, at weddings. Like they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to make that hard. When Corey first had, when his first son was born, mm-hmm. he came home from rehab and he did the 10 steps and he was doing great. And then his girlfriend got pregnant, 18 years old. Oh. So they had a little boy. She lived with her parents. Corey went to college, um, became a process operator at Imperial Oil, is doing amazing. Now they're married. They have three kids. They mm. help with youth at church. Like their mm. life is great. Yeah. Yeah. It's But it was scary at the time. Sure. Right? So when his son was born, and he's only, mind you, 18 years old, and the, but he was mature enough to say this, we are going to have one birthday party mm. for this kid. If you can't be there that day because you can't get along, then you'll miss it. But I'm not having two birthday parties. Good for him. Right? Yeah. And lots of people do, though. I hear lots of people that oh, do yeah. that. Um, but I'm glad. I don't want him to have to. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to have to do that. So yeah, we often see each other. Well, now she does go to our church and um and it and it's all good, but it was it was really difficult walking mm-hmm. through it, walking through it for sure. Yeah, I mean that's certainly you would never you never would wish if you wrote your own story, you're never mm-hmm. going to write into your story that your child is going to battle addiction and have to go mm-hmm. to detox and all of these things and rehab and all mm-hmm. the things. 
But because of that, there's been so much healing in your family. And it's like really revolutionized who you guys are. Absolutely, it has. And part of the reason, not the reason that the addiction happened, but the reason it took a little longer maybe to get to the point of um, of healing was because the the child that we were seeing was totally different than the child that she was seeing okay. because he was almost living two lives, two different stories. And he knew we never talked to each other. And he yeah. said that later. I knew dad never communicated with mom. Yeah. So I could be these two. She's saying, well, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing this and this and this. And we thought she is crazy. Yes. Not what we are seeing at all. Right. But he was knowingly doing that because he knew we would never find that out. But once we did, right. And once we were together and communicated, it made all the difference. Mm -hmm. And for sure, I can say now, like all the hard things in my life, I'm, I'm thankful. I wouldn't want to do it again, mind you, but Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for that because those are the, that those are the times that you grow. Yeah. And that, and that healing happens. Yeah, absolutely. Without without the hard stuff, yeah, we would just we would stay stagnant and that's just mm-hmm. the harsh reality. Um mm-hmm. I was really struck by in your book you shared a conversation that you had with your oldest son at you know, he's like an adult like and you were mm-hmm. talking to him and you were reflecting with him kind of about the past. And in you said in a quote you said my soul was aching with regret and mistakes. And I beat myself up for the less than stellar mothering decisions I had made when he was younger. And I was really just like, so taken aback by that because it was just such a, a vulnerable thing, like for you to share that, like your soul was aching with regret. And I think that a lot of people listening to this can probably relate to that, that there's things that have happened in their past that they would like give anything to go back and change it or whatever, you know, tell us a little bit about like that conversation that you had with him and how you've moved on. Like, how do you today process shame and regret that you have? Mm -hmm. I think that conversation and it wasn't the first time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's why he responded the way he did um, was because mistakes that I made and decisions I made in, in the past were not with his best interest in mind. Okay. I mean, I could, um, what's the word for it? I could justify, I guess I could justify my decision by saying, don't I deserve to be happy? Mm-hmm. You know, and I've said that tons of times. Um, and yeah. usually when I make a bad choice, when it's, that's what I say. Um, <laughs> but you know, um, so when I was feeling guilty and bad and Mm -hmm. full of shame and talk to him about it. And I would apologize and say, you know, yeah, I wish I could go back. I didn't Mm -hmm. think about how that affected you. And finally, like I, it's probably the third or fourth time that we went through that same exact talk. And he said to me, you have to stop looking back. If you don't stop looking back, you're never going to get anywhere. Mm. And I think that's so true in life because even even though I know that when I confess and I'm forgiven by God, like he forgets the past. He forgets my sin. Like, I wish I could forget it. Right. Mm -hmm. But then 
I get those whispers in my ears that are lies that mm-hmm. say like, oh, you're such a loser. You've done all these terrible things and it keeps coming back to me and coming back to me, but it's gone. There mm-hmm. is no shame. That, yeah. I don't need to be in shame, right? Yeah. I And I need to look at the future and make better decisions going forward for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but not live in that because it's gone. Yeah. It's in the past. It's I can't do anything about it. There is mm-hmm. no, there's never any um good comes out of thinking, well, what if I would have blah? Yeah. Right. Except mm-hmm. for future planning. But sure. like there's no sense of dreaming, like, you know, yeah, what if I wouldn't have made that huge mistake? Would my kids have been better off? Like, well, it doesn't matter because they're not. So there's no use spending time, like just bathing in shame and regret and guilt because there's no good can come out of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In the introduction to your book, you said, um, I've been married four times, twice to the same guy, boast a blended family of eight kids and never once qualified for mother of the year. I've crawled back to God with a face full of tears only to wander away time after time. And despite it all, or maybe because of it all, I've seen God use me to encourage women. He welcomed me back, chose to forget the past and helps me to live in victory day by day. Mm -hmm. I think that's so beautiful. And I love that um, for two reasons. I love how you said that you crawl back to God with a face full of tears only to walk away again. And then he always welcomes you back. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. so, so beautiful to remember that like we're human and we're going to constantly fall down. And something that my dad always says is that like the Christian life is stumbling in the right direction. Mm. That's kind of what we're all doing, right? Like none of us are, none of us are running there. You know what I mean? Like we're all just kind of stumbling in the right direction or trying to, you know? Yeah, I love that. Stumbling in the right direction. And I love how you said that God has used you to encourage women. Tell me a little bit about that. Like why do you think that you are uniquely qualified to encourage other women? Well, when, when I was going through like divorce, for instance, okay, Mm -hmm. I have a sister-in-law who is amazing, godly woman. She's been married for, they've been married, I don't know, like 28 years and she would encourage me, but she didn't know how it felt. Yeah. I don't want her to know how it felt to have your husband leave, Um, but she just didn't get it, you know? Um, And, and not that there's no place for her encouragement. There is. But God, it's really weird because her sister um, had been through the same thing a couple years before mm-hmm. me when Rick left. And it just worked out. I wanted stuff to go with me to um, Canada's Wonderland, which is like, I don't know, what, Six Flags or whatever, like a yeah. park in Toronto. And uh, she couldn't. So she said, oh, my sister can go. And I mean, I've known this person off and on and seen them at weddings and stuff, but not really known her. And so we spent the day sitting in the sun while the kids played on the rise and just talking through everything that was happening in my life and the exact things that had happened a few years before in her life. Mm. And like, what a gift that was because she exactly understood how that felt. Mm -hmm. So for me to be able to come alongside a woman who's in the situation I've been in, maybe not exactly the situation, but the same feelings 
yeah, of, yeah. of uh, rejection and desperation. And like, like I spent weeks with my head on my face in the green carpet of my bedroom, begging God to not let it happen, you know, and yet he did. And to be able to come alongside another woman who's walking through that is, is a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree so much. I agree so much. And so it's like, again, if we could write our own story, you wouldn't write that stuff into your story, but what an amazing thing for you to be able to reflect upon it, see it and say, I'm not going to let this be wasted. I'm going to use this. Of course, I'm going to use this to help encourage other people, be there for them. Um, and I just think that that's really beautiful. Yeah. And to be able to, um, so now I can speak about it too. Yes. Like, you know, write about it mm -hmm. and also speak about it to groups of women and God will use that. Mm -hmm. for whatever purpose, you know, all those things. And I think that's why it's so important to be real mm -hmm. and to be, you know, vulnerable. It's vulnerable to say, yeah, you know what? I made that mistake. Yeah. I screwed up. I did yeah. that. But, and so did you. And you know what? I'm okay now. And mm -hmm. you're going to be okay. It's mm -hmm. hard. It sucks today. I'm not going to ever make light of any of it. I'm mm -hmm. not ever going to say it wasn't that bad. It was. Sure. It was that bad. But it's not now. Mm -hmm. Right? I heard someone in the last couple of weeks say that when they say something, they put at the end of it now, like, I am struggling so much right now. Mm. Just put right now at the end of it, because then it reminds you that this is right now. This isn't forever. Yes. Right? I can barely put one foot in front of the other right now. Right? It just changes it. It changes it. Uh, yeah, I, I wish I made that up, but I didn't, and I don't remember who did. But um, that's fine. Was, we'll give you credit. No, don't. <laughs> she was a smart woman. I don't know who it was. Somebody on Instagram or something. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Right now, my kids are driving me crazy. Right now. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I love that because it's not. It's it's it seems like forever. Like, and I say that like it seems like some of it goes really, really fast. And then you have a day that's like a million years long. Like you're trying to toilet train and their teeth are coming in or something stupid yep. like that. And you're like, I can't make it through this. It's so hard. Totally. Right now. Right now. Oh, I love that so much. It's like, it's so yeah. crazy because it seems so like simple and whatever, but yeah. just that reframe is so important. I remember one time my counselor said to me, I said, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. And she was like, what can't you do? And I said, any of this, any of it. And she said, you can't do any of it or you can't do all of it. Uh -huh. And I was like, I guess you're right. I can't do all of it. And I've, and I say that all the time now, like if I'm having like one of those days where I'm like, oh, I can't do this. I can't, I, I can't. I'm like, no, I just can't do all of this. So what's the one thing I'm going to not do? You know what I mean? So that I don't feel like I'm going to lose it, you know? And so yeah. I love that. I'm adding that right now thing to my, my toolbox. I, yeah. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Cause you're so right. Like, I feel like I can't do this right now. You know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. going to lose it right now. You know what yeah. I mean? But it's like your entire yeah. life is not off the rails, you know? Right. It's a hard moment. It's a hard day. Right. It's a hard yeah. season. It's a hard season. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I love that, Tess. I have loved talking with you. I love your insight, your humor, your vulnerability, all of it. I think that this is just such an awesome conversation that people are really going to be blessed by. So thank you so much for sharing. Where can we like find you online, find your book, all the things? 
Oh, thanks, Caitlin. Your podcast is so fun, by the way. I've been oh, like, good. to them and they're like a hoot. It makes you wish you were there. <laughs> Thank that's, you so that's much. What it does. That's what it does. Oh, I love that. Yeah. My, so you can find my book anywhere books are sold, like um, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, of course, um, Chapters. I saw it on walmart.com, which blows my mind. Nice. Um, all the places. I have a website, tessscott.com. So that's easy to remember. Yes. Um, and there you can see, I don't know, some of my blogs and um, get me to come speak for you and your church or with your women or whatever and encourage them and make them laugh till they pee. That's always my goal. I want to make women <laughs> laugh until they pee their pants if I can. I love it. So, yeah. So that's at tessscott.com. And I'm in, on Instagram and Facebook. There's links there. It's Listen Sister Encouragement. Awesome. So I'm out to encourage women everywhere I go. Awesome. So we'll link all of that in the show notes. Everyone, you can find it there. Tess, thank you so much. This was awesome. Well, thanks for having me on. What a great time. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CaitlinElliott.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, if you want to toss us a five-star rating, I would love you forever. Check us out next week for another new episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at so.what.else editing and all that stuff by Matt Carpenter with Parable Productions.